Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome back to the Galilee Live podcast. I'm Ariana, your host, and I am the community manager here at Galilee Live. And I have here with me today, Navies and Tony, and I will go ahead and let them introduce themselves. Sure. So I'm Navies Paulino, founder of Galilee Life, um, and super excited to have Tony with us today. Tony Watley, I am a business coach, speaker, and best-selling author out of Houston, Texas, and I'm here to get asked a bunch of crazy questions by these two beautiful women, and hope I give you some good answers today. <laughs> Love that. I'm all right, Tony, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, so tell me a little bit about your business and what was the like aha moment for you as to when you wanted to start it and how you came up with the name and things like that. Wow. 365 Driven I actually launched in 2017 after a two-year hiatus from my career. I was in a near-death accident. I raced cars for a hobby, and I hit a concrete wall at 130 miles per hour in 2015. And after that, I decided to leave my corporate career and go focus on creating more impact in the world, and I didn't know what that meant initially. And so I started looking back at my business success. I've been a business owner and sold companies for millions of dollars, and I always had people asking me for advice on how to start and, and create businesses and how you become successful in entrepreneurship. And I did not like being on camera. I did not like recorded voice. I did not like being on stage. I just avoided those situations. And so my first idea was like, I'll write a book. I'll write a book so I can take the knowledge in my brain and put it out there so people can have the information. And, and the funny thing is I started admitting this recently. That book came out in 2018. But I was writing it in a cowardly position of trying to still avoid the spotlight. You know, I just wanted to have my knowledge out there and it was an easy way for people to access it. But then as my editor was taking chapter by chapter and looking at these chapters, like this is going to be a good book. You might get interviewed. You might be on TV or the radio or podcast or asked to speak. And I was like, Oh man, that's not what I wanted at all. And, but it was a, indicator to me, especially after that accident, that time is not guaranteed. And I have to be evolving and improving to become the right person to carry my story. So I joined Toastmasters and I hired a speaking coach and started figuring out how to become more confident at speaking. And then I really went all in and I did videos every single day on social media for over a year. And I was just learning the things and public speaking and just applying them to videos. And it gave me enough confidence and enough reps where I could do these kind of things. And that's became like one of my weird careers. I mean, I started competing in public speaking events and started winning those and been on big stages with thousands of people in the audience nowadays. And I never thought I had that in me. So what I always tell people about public speaking is it's not, it's not a talent by far. If you go watch my earliest videos, which I will never delete, that was terrible. I, I, it was the best I could do. I would take 10 takes and I would just post the best one I thought I could do. And it, you improve with time just with anything. So it's, it's a skill that you learn you study and you, and you get the right education and do enough reps. And you know, so 365 Driven is an entrepreneurship community. We have about 4,000 members right now. And it's a spinoff from my previous community building. I built automotive racing communities. I built some of the largest ones in the internet. Uh, the first one was based on General Motors performance cars, and that one grew to over 300,000 registered members. And we took that same business model, the core values, the leadership, and we created another one for trucks and we built that performance trucks.net on that one. And that grew to over 280,000 registered members. So I'm very comfortable building giant communities that are online. And the way I figured I was going to make impact was that 
I've only loved cars and entrepreneurship, even as a kid. So I, I thought, okay, I'm going to teach people how to on, do entrepreneurship now instead of the car stuff. And that was the basis of 365 Driven. So it's a podcast. It's a entrepreneurship community and it supplies mentorship, coaching, accountability, and we just like to have a good time. It's good people. Wow. That's amazing. Um, okay. So for some practical advice for our vendors, um, what is something that you think that is a good investment at the beginning of your business that you will see the fruits of later on down the line? What are some things that you just need to have, need to invest in, in your business? I think for most people, when they're starting a business, they rely a lot on their current knowledge or their skills, which is a good thing because it's a resource that you have. And that's the other thing. What are the resources you have? What are the equipment or money or, or the network of these resources that you have available currently that can help expedite your business success? Now, the thing that most people undervalue or they underestimate is that they need to become an actual business owner and your skills and your knowledge are very important. You know, maybe you're coming from a corporate job or if you learned a thing and you got an education in something and you go, hey, I want to make this into a business. Well, take that knowledge that you have, that skill that you have and realize that that's only about worth about 50% of your success. Most people think it's like 90% of their success having this knowledge or experience. It's about 50%. The other 50% is actually knowing what business is and how to become a better business person. So learning accounting, the marketing, the salesmanship, all these different aspects of business that are important, cash flow understanding, uh, interest rates, all these things that you need to be successful. Most people underestimate that because they think, well, I'm just really good at building this, or I'm really good at teaching this. And they don't know anything about marketing. They don't know anything about website design. They don't know anything about positioning. They haven't brushed up on their public speaking skills or their video making skills, because that's only becoming more prevalent now with social media. It's not going away. So you better start to get better to keep up with people you compete with. And also think that for small business owners getting in, they, they treat things like a hobby. You know, my book is called Side Hustle Millionaire. And I became a millionaire with side businesses. And the thing is, most people build a side business to create side income and they really treat it like a hobby. So what does that mean? They, they build a really crappy looking, amateur looking website and they do really amateur looking copywriting and they take really amateur looking photos and they just, they do everything really half-assed like it, like, you know, just part-timing it. And the problem is, is that the market, the, the people out there, the potential customers, they don't care if this is day one or day 1000 of your business, you're being compared at the same standard of everybody that they compete with. So you need to position yourself as bigger than you are and better than you are from day one, because that is literally your your, your introduction to them. That's your, you know, your first impression. And if you do things as an amateur, you're only going to get amateur results. So then what happens is people get amateur results and they go, oh, this isn't working out. I thought I'd be a millionaire by now. Like, how come I'm not making money? How come people just told me I'd build a website of any website and all this money would start coming in and it just doesn't happen. So take things seriously, invest in those skills on yourself and in your business acumen, and you're going to have a lot better odds of success. Wow, that's really good advice. Thank you. Um, okay, and kind of going along the lines of that, what are some common misconceptions that you find business owners believe about themselves personally and then about their business? I know you kind of touched on that a little bit, but maybe talk about some other ones and how they can combat that. I think one of the biggest things I see hold people back is that they look at 
the horizon of businesses and, and people that who are already established and you hear things like, well, why would I go be a business coach? There's already a million business coaches out there and they, they minimize their impact, right? They think about, I'm too small. Why would anybody buy from me? Why would anybody watch my videos? Why would anybody listen to me? And so we have this negative self-talk that goes on in our mind. And I, I read somewhere that about 75% of our thoughts are actually negative, if you believe that. And and I'm a pretty positive person, but they've said, hey, it doesn't matter. If you're positive, you still have those thoughts. Now, what you do with those thoughts is what differentiates you from people who take the negative action versus the positive action. Because if you're positive-minded or growth-minded, you can hear those negative things. We all have them. Like, man, you're not good enough looking. You're not, you know, you, you're you overweight. You're not smart enough. You're not wealthy enough. You haven't had enough success. It's always this, I'm not, I'm not enough statements that hold people back. And they realize that, you know, you have to replace that with logic. You have to look at some of the things that you've been very good at in your life and maybe make a list. I actually call it a victory log. I keep it on my phone. And I think about these are the things that I accomplished in my life. It's chronological. It's a growing list. It happens anytime I have something that makes me feel good or is a good memory or an accomplishment, I put it on the list. And when you start to see the flood of things that you've accomplished, no matter what age you were, you realize like, you know, I've come a long way. I've done a lot of things. I've experienced a lot of things. All this negative thing that's holding me back. Like I can just look at my list and go, nope. Logic says I've done things that I've gone against the grain and I've won many times. Right. And so when you start to get out of your own way and realize that every one of you, you know, Mariana, Navis, it's, it's your audience is out there. They're waiting for you. And until you start to emerge and start to share your words and your message and the work and the, the, value that you create in this world, your audience is never going to find you. So you understand that everybody out there has a potential audience. And the best way I think about this is even when I started instructing other people to be public speakers, I always told them like, your audience is out there. There's literally millions of people out there waiting for your message. And if you need examples of that, like we could go on a stage in a room of 10,000 people and I could bring up 10 speakers to the stage and I could hand them a script and say, read this paragraph word for word. And they could be all the exact same script and every one of them would read it. And there would be people in the audience that would resonate with each and every one of those people on an individual level. So it's not always the message, it's how you say it that resonates with other people. So your, your audience is out there. You, you're really making me think here. Um, so I have two questions. I know I was only supposed to ask five, but um, one would be, um, what people inspired you, um, as you created your business or, you know, what people you looked up to one, but also the second one would be, there's definitely a, a tension between dreaming and actually doing what it is that you're dreaming of. So what would be advice for people who just don't know how to take that step and how to just wrestle with that tension? Because some people just stay back and do nothing. Um, but people like you, you just pushed and pushed and pushed. But um, yeah, so what would you say to people? So just just two questions. And then name. Yeah, my motivators were definitely my parents. Yeah. We grew up without much money. My mom was a cafeteria worker in the, in the public school system for over 30 years. And my dad was in the U.S. Marines. And when he got out of Vietnam War, he went and worked in chemical refineries here in Houston. And so two blue collar parents worked extremely hard trading hours for dollars we lived literally in three flip houses. As I was growing up, we would buy the crappiest house in the neighborhood, just in a good school district. So my sister and I could have a good school and we would live in these houses and restore them while we lived in them. And I just thought that was normal. Right. And 
I've never had any shame about going out and, and making money because I saw them work so hard. My mom's a Japanese immigrant. And, you know, when you see your parents do that kind of stuff and you see your dad lose his job and the stress that goes through the household, then you don't have any shame about making money. So even when I had an engineering degree and I got my entry level job, I would get home at 4.30 in the afternoon and I would, I'd be like, this is kind of like a part-time job. Like I used to hustle. I paid for my own college. I worked seven years full-time and in construction, just like my dad to go to school at night. And so when I was getting home, I was like, you know what, I can go make more money instead of sit here on the couch or go to the clubs. So I actually went back and I was waiting tables every single night of the week with an engineering degree, with an engineering salary. And people would ask me like, why are you doing that? You have a degree and a job, but it's like, cause I'm not where I want to be. And, and this is a way that I can get there. So I, I remember being a kid mowing other people's yards for $10 and, and my friends would ride their bicycles by and be like, Tony, why are you mowing Mr. Johnson's yard? Like it's not even your yard. And it's like, that's how I afford my bicycles and my skateboard. So, you know, I, I value the things that I own regardless of their, their price tag. It could be the cheapest thing or the crappiest car, but I still value it. And that's how I, I learned. So I learned that from my parents and the, the values of hard work and struggle. I've seen that and I've been a part of that myself. And I just don't have any shame. It's just going to do things that I want to achieve. But the, the what was the other question you had from that? Um, my other question was those people that are dreaming, but not necessarily doers. Oh, yeah. They're in that. Yeah. What would you say? That's to a good them? one. Yeah. That's a good one. You know, you get some bad advice, especially when we hang out on Clubhouse and Instagram and we hear people saying, pursue your dreams. And, you know, you know, I love to hear that. I really love to hear that. But the thing is, is that it's not realistic, right? Like if you were to ask me what my dream was at 18, I would have said, I want to own a Ferrari dealership. And so maybe I would go out there and, and go, well, I'd open my pockets and they would be empty. And I would say, well, I don't have a hundred million dollars right now. So I guess I'm going to give up on my dream. It's just not meant to happen. I didn't grow up with wealthy parents or inherit something. So I'm never going to own a Ferrari dealership. So I guess I'm just going to go look for a job and just give up on my dream. So it's really dangerous to chase your dream. So what I talk about actually in my book is what I call staircase businesses, not building staircases, but building businesses that will climb like a stairs to get you to the dream that you want. So maybe your dream, like for me, like I would love to have a Ferrari dealership, but it has to be in the middle of a racetrack so I can still go race them and have them at the same time. But how do I get to a hundred million? Well, maybe I go build the first company and I sell it for a million. And then I use that money and I build the next company and maybe that one's 5 million. Then I grow the next one and maybe I sell that one for 30 million. And you see all these little staircase things that you go and those first few steps are those stairs may not necessarily be your dreams. It just may be something you're good at or something that people would pay you highly to do, but you don't have to love it. And I think too many people get enamored by like, oh, I need to love it and be pursuing my passion. No, I think that's something that you earn the privilege to by putting in the hard work at the front end, the first 20 years of your life, you're going to probably do a lot of things you don't want to do. And entrepreneurs and people who are successful are willing to do that. They're willing to do that without being motivated because they want the result. We don't want motivation. Like I don't need motivational memes or motivational speeches or people like giving me applause. I don't need that. I look at the result. What is it that I want? Am I willing to go do what it takes to get the result that other people don't have? And for me, the answer is yes. You know, I just told you I'm shameless about just doing things that are going to get me to my goals. And if more people were like that, they would be in a lot of different places in their life. 
what really resonates about what you said is you just have to be willing to put the time in. That's it. Time um, and, the, and the, regardless of how you feel, like you don't have to feel like doing anything, but you want to, you really want that result. Yeah. Um, all right, Navis, go ahead. Sure. So um, I think one of the things that really resonated with me throughout your whole, um, throughout your answers to these questions was that um, you spoke about not being a great speaker and then spending every day for a year to speak. Um, I've always had an issue with that myself. And I don't think I, I necessarily put into practice uh, a video every single day for a year because um, I still would kind of run away from that. Um, so I guess it really depends on your niche and what, what you're doing. Um, if, you know, to be that, I, guess, I think it's important to, to, to be good and to be able to, um, to speak about what you're doing and what you're offering and, you know, what your business, people, people need to understand, right? And, and the only way that you can do that is by speaking about it. Um, but what advice would you give to people that they, it doesn't matter, you know, how much they try um, or, um, you know, how much they try, like you did the whole year, um, for them to get there and they still can't quite grasp on, you know, I'm a great speaker now. I guess after being a president of a Toastmasters club for over a year, and I've, I've been in the organization, it's a nonprofit that teaches public speaking is really inexpensive. Also, I I'd seen so many people that were terrified, even far worse than me, where they would take their notes up to the front and their hands would be shaking and the paper is just rattling because they're so scared. And I've seen them transform in a short amount of time, three months, three, four months of just showing up once a week, putting in the reps, doing the videos. So I don't believe unless you've literally got a speaking uh, you know, disability, then maybe it's going to be hard for you to be a speaker. But if you can actually use your voice and pronounce words, everybody has the same potential to be great at it. It's, it's coaching because what happens is when you go to these classes you raise your hand because you're uncomfortable and you definitely don't want to sit in the back and like, just be a spectator. You don't want to be a spectator with anything in your life. You got to participate if you want to get the results. So make yourself uncomfortable, raise your hand. Every time you go to these meetings, volunteer to go do some kind of a little speaking role, like one or two minutes up the front. And what you do is you get, to, you get feedback because there's people that are there each night that are designated to give you feedback. Hey, you say, um, too much. You don't use enunciation properly. You pause too much here. You're not looking at the audience. They, they will give you constructive feedback. And what that does is it raises the awareness of the things that you need to work on and how to, how to find new ranges in your voice. Like for most dudes, we speak in very monotone voice. Like this is Tony and I'm just one speed cadence, one volume, one pitch. And you'd probably fall asleep if I spoke like this the entire meeting. And this is how most guys speak. And we hear this on clubhouse and you want to leave the room when people start speaking like this, that is a lack of awareness, right? You hear my voice is a different range. And I learned to accentuate certain words and sentences to make you go, Hey, this is a little bit different. This guy sounds different. This is things you can learn, right? What you heard me, that monotony is what I call them. That was me in 2017 because I didn't have that awareness. I was speaking to talk, but if you're speaking to influence, it's a whole lot different skill set. And whether you're speaking to one person or 1,000 people, the skills you learn in actual public speaking training will greatly, greatly, greatly impact your entire life. So don't discount this. And most people wrongly assume, and I did this too for 20 something years in corporate, 
Most people think that public speaking is just having the occasional courage to say something in front of other people. So they think like, well, I can get in front of my team and do a kickoff meeting and I can get in front of my team and rah, rah them once in a while. So I'm a good public speaker. That's not true. Like the occasional courage is probably worth 5% of what public speaking truly is. And, and if you've never been formally trained, you don't, you don't have the awareness, right? And see, so invest in these, join the Toastmasters, go join at Rotary, hire a speaking coach. And I'm not telling you this, I've seen this too many times, three to six months, it will change your life three to six months. Like it happens fast. And most people are just unaware of that a year in you're a completely different person in communication. Practice, practice really um, makes perfect. I mean, we're, we're never going to be perfect, but it really does help. So um, I guess I can say that. And then thinking on, um, you know, starting a business and how hard it is to start a business and thinking about um, just everything that you said previously about um, knowing marketing and all these other aspects of it. How hard can that be to start? And I, I was just uh, reading over your book, and I have I haven't read the whole book or anything, but um, it 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 talks about being a side, like having a side a side hustle. Uh, how do you have a side hustle while you're working full time? For me, I I do I have a job that I have, and it's like my nine to five. But then I also have Galley Life, which I run, and it just feels like I'm juggling two big things. It's, it doesn't feel like I'm, this is my primary. And then this is like my side. It's just two <laughs> heavy, big things going on at the same time. And I give it my, my attention. I give my attention to both as much as I can. So I guess my question is, how do you kind of separate the two to give yourself enough space to be able to kind of say, this is primary for now? Because the one that I do have, for my nine to five, if you want to call that, is my generator, is my income generator to keep my other one alive. And yep. I'm not afraid to say that or shameful to say that because it's what I've been doing all along. And I know that it's what's going to be able to take me to the next level. So I'm not afraid to put in the work or the sacrifice to do that. Um, but how do you do that? How do you, how can you, how can you say that you have like one full job and then keep something kind of like a side hustle in, in a way? It's a great question. I think that you have to be realistic and build a side business that fits your lifestyle. First of all, if you build a side business that requires your presence in a physical location, eight hours a day to be successful, then it's probably not going to work because you got eight hours a day, you're putting somewhere in a, in a clock. The other thing is that I focus on online businesses for that regard. I mean, we why limit your audience or your customer base to your city or your zip code? When the entire world could potentially be your customer base nowadays with connectivity, there's no reason to build on Main Street anymore, right? There's no, there's no reason to just build something that you can only do on the weekends because you're busy five days a week with your normal job. I mean, that, that will create extra side money, but I want to make side thousands or if not side hundreds of thousands. You know, I've got a few online businesses that I built were drop shipping and online retail and consulting. And these were all seven figure businesses that generated multiple six figure profits per year. I did it as a side business. And here's the thing, my career that I had was actually very demanding. I was managing 200 to $500 million international offshore oil and gas projects international. I've worked in France and England and Africa and Italy. And so I've, I was, a lot of times I was gone. Sometimes I'd be floating on a construction ship in the middle of the ocean without internet connection 
for 28 days sometimes. So I had to build businesses that didn't require my presence. And me being an engineer and project manager, I was like, I was like okay, here, how do I do that? How do I fire myself from being there? create processes and systems that could be taught to other people to do those kind of things, build the business to where it starts to make enough profit to pay somebody else to do these tasks for me. So I didn't have to be present anymore. And the company that built LS1 tech, the first community, I didn't have to be present. I actually got to use it more as a consumer, which gave me a ground level perspective of things that I could actually improve as a user and just feed the machine and keep getting it bigger and bigger and bigger. And that was generating 400,000 a year in profit. And, it probably took me 15 minutes a day, to be honest, just to hang out on there, see what was going on, make sure that things were you know, working properly, give it off to the team, had 75 people on staff that I could pay to do that kind of stuff. So build the systems and the processes to fire yourself as soon as possible. Just be the visionary. You know, here's the things that I believe in. Here's the money. And here's the other thing. When you're doing it as a side business and your bills are paid, you can actually take bigger risks as an entrepreneur. And most people are not willing to do that. They think that, oh, I've got this business and I'm just going to put a little bit of money to it. No, guys, if your bills are paid, everything, every cent you make beyond your obligations, you could actually invest into that company. You could be far more aggressive than anybody that's going full all in an entrepreneurship because if they run out of their last dollar, there's no more dollars left. They're out of business or bankrupt. So if you have a business, if you have a job that's bringing you in money, you got to take bigger risks. And if you, if you start to think about trying to remove risk, you're actually going to remove reward. So don't think that you got to remove risk. You got to take big risks sometimes to make big dollars. Yeah, you can't be um, afraid to do that. Um, if right. you have it, you use it, especially because um, whatever, if you're building a business because you have a, a big dream of something. Mm -hmm. And like you say, it's like a, you know, kind of like a step, a ladder, uh, to take you to where you want to go, or maybe that is where you want to be. And that's okay too. But in order to build it and get it to where, where it's supposed to be, then the risks are, you know, reward. So you just have to be able to invest in them and, and not be afraid. Um, so what advice would you give to, um, and I'm, I guess I'm thinking about our vendors, a lot of them are handmade creative. So they sell their handmade items and they're so precious because they take all their time to do that. And, you know, they want the people on the other end to, to feel how special their items are. Then we have retailers. And then we also have people that sell straight from their closet, kind of like thrifters and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Some of them, okay, what, where I see GL, I see Galley Life kind of like as a foundation platform for you to build your dream. So it may be that you just want to, you know, use Galley Life as your side hustle forever, right? Yep. But then it may be that you really just want to continue building your business on there. Um, I... So I, I've always said it's 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 more of a foundational ground for 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 our small businesses. Um, but what advice would you give to 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 those that are thinking of giving up on on this specific means of making money because they don't they they're not seeing um, much of a I guess much of a return on on their investment because investment investment can mean a lot of things, right? Not just money, but also time, and time is money. So, what advice would you give them? The actually the first online business I created was in 1998, and I was doing handmade products. I was buying resistors and circuit boards from Radio Shack before they went out of business, and I could build these little circuit boards and solder iron and things like this, and 
being a nerd, obviously, you know, I was, I was building something for cars to make 10 extra horsepower. You could plug this thing into an engine sensor to would fool the sensor signal and it would give you 10 horsepower. And so I built these things. It took me about an hour to build each one. And I was making about 35, $40 profit per, per each one. And so what happened is that I would get home from work and I would bust out all the parts on my kitchen table and I would start soldering. I can make two or three a night before I got tired or had something else I had to go do. So trading that by the dollar is like, okay, cool. Cause that's like making 35, $40 an hour when we think of it that way. But I had to get out of that mindset because that's still the employee mindset. Cause you're always trading time for dollars, units of time, units of dollars. And it doesn't scale very well unless you have somebody else that you can pay to do those things for you that charges a lot less. Right. So that's the only way you can do things. And when you start to get into things that are really artistic and you can't really train somebody to do this, then it becomes a really challenge because it can make supplemental income, but you really have to be realistic. Is this really going to make you hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars? The answer a lot of times is no. And the problem is that most people are unwilling to start thinking of business ideas and other business avenues that they could go into that could actually reach the financial goals that they have. And I find a lot of times it's our ego that keeps us in those situations. We're like, Oh, well, this is just what I love to do. And okay, cool. I get it. I want you to love to do this. And I want you to hand build these things. And they're amazing pieces of art and things that you're doing. But what do you want more? Do you want the financial goals or do you want to just be the artist doing these things that don't scale? So if you have the answer, maybe I can figure out how to make these scale. Like I said, overseas produce these. Can somebody that, you know, a lower price point, maybe children or something that can build these for you that enjoy it and you just pay them. And it's like a cool, like entry-level job for them. That's one way to do it. The other way is just think about, okay, how do I take the lessons I've learned from doing this and apply them to some other business model that does have the potential for me to reach the financial goals that I have. So don't be ashamed to pivot and do things different, but understand that your time does not scale and you have to be able to scale by employees or have something that can be duplicated easy. And for me, that was online businesses because especially digital products, like it's literally copy paste. I only have to build it once and then millions of people could potentially own it and I don't have to build them by hand anymore. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, before starting here, I started selling on different platforms straight from my closet, making, you know, good side money because mm-hmm. these were items that I already had, which gave me the idea of, you know, uh, bringing to life, galley life in a way. But at the same time, um, what w- the reason why I started it was because I wanted to have a home for the elderly. That was my dream. There you uh, go. It has not died died down. Um, I love it. I, something that I yearn for and I want to do that but I know that there are certain things that I needed to do in order to get there so I like when you say I like I I like the whole store I mean stairs I'm sorry kind of metaphor um I, I like that because it is it's like you're kind of climbing a stair to get to where you want to get now galley life came to life very very um not something that I was looking for to have it it was more god-given for me and I have my testimony about that but um it still has not you know made my dream of having a home for the elderly go away so I love when you say that that's that's key you know and if if you are person out there making hand done crafts, you have to position yourself as an artist more than someone that's just building crafts, right? Think about all the top, you talk about fashion, you're emptying closets. People are buying the brand because of the story or how it makes them feel. It's always about the emotional aspect. It's not the product. 
I mean, we see t-shirts nowadays are $300, but if you look at them on the rack, they're not any different than a t-shirt that's $9, but the story behind it, the exclusivity, perhaps the premium, you know, the, what is it? The, the intangibles that people want, right? It's if you position yourself as an artist and you consistently have this message, like, I don't just like, I have one of the people in my men, he makes, he makes handcrafted wood pens. His name's Skylar. And for a while he was just selling them like, Hey, I make pens. I make these handmade wood pens. And I said, no, 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 dude. You, you're a, you're a, a pen artist and you're a, a master craftsman. You're an artist. Cause they were, they're all unique. He does them all unique. And I said, you need to sell the story of each individual pen. Hey, this pen, I made it green because it reminds me of money. And, and it made me think of my childhood. And, and he tells like a whole narrative. He does the video now his sales have like quadrupled because people buy the story. So when they hold that pen to go, Hey, that guy told me the story then he'll, he'll write the story out on a piece of paper when they buy it. And so they know the story because when their friends ask, Hey, where'd you get that cool pen? Well, this, let me tell you the story about this pen. Like nobody goes, yeah, it's a cool pen. It's green. Like here's the story behind this pen. And then people go, wow, I want a pen like that. I like that story. See in the story and the emotions, that's when you start to make real money. Love that. Mariana. Tony, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm going to ask Navies to go ahead and pray us out and that will be it. Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to have this time with Tony, allowing me to have this time with Mariana as well. Thank you, Father, because you do things in such a wonderful way. Um, there's always a plan for everything, and we believe that you have planned for Tony to be here with us today. Thank you for his insight for everything that you have allowed him to go through so that he is able to be the person that he is today and share his experiences with the world and the people around him. God, I hope that the people that listen to the, this podcast are able to understand um, and fully take in everything that he said, all the valuable information in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And Tony, really quickly, I know we're, we're, at the top of the hour, but uh, where can people find you, um, your website? And I think it's 365driven.com, right? Absolutely. 365driven.com. You'll find my podcast with the same name, my best-selling book, Side Hustle Millionaire, and all the social <laughs> places I hang out. It's all on the one website. Easy. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for Thank being you. here. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah.